Our scripture this morning comes from Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 27. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I remember walking off the football field at William J. Clark Middle School. Football practice had been painful. All the running and the hitting and the falling down, getting the wind knocked out of me over and over and over and over again. The pain was unlike anything I'd ever experienced, and it pushed my seventh grade body to the max, <laughs> to, the, to the utter max. I was ready to quit. Football had done me in. I was ready to quit. And I'll never forget what my dad said to me as we walked up that hill towards the parking lot. He said something like this. He said, son, I know today was hard. You are going to be really sore. But I'm not going to allow you to quit. <laughs> he said, I'm not going to allow you to quit because you made a commitment to your team. You made a commitment to your coaches. And trust me, it will all be worth it. All the pain, all the misery will be worth it. So let me ask you this. How are you suffering today? How are you hurting? How does your body ache? Do you feel the pain of trauma, of emotional trauma? What terrible thing has happened in your life? Did you get bad news from a doctor? Can you just not seem to get right? Car accidents, cancer, heart disease, depression, COVID-19, mental illness. This is reality in the broken world that we live in. 
everything is broken. And the pain that I experienced in seventh grade made me want to quit. And sometimes that's where we are, right? We, we get to the point where we just want to quit. We just want to walk off the field and say, I'm done with it forever. And as we approach God's word this morning, we're asking this question, how can we persevere in this world so full of suffering and pain? How can we persevere in a world of suffering? And today's scripture, God tells us that we can persevere through suffering. And he sums it all up in verse 18. So open your Bibles and look at Romans 8, verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18, where God says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let me read that one more time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And in this verse, there are two actions that that he's going to flesh out in the rest of the passage here. There are two actions that we can take to persevere through suffering in this life. The first one is this, to endure the suffering. To endure the suffering. And the second one is this, to anticipate glory. To endure suffering and to anticipate glory. First, to endure suffering. I had a call from Latifia on Thursday morning. Joel had woken up literally on the wrong side of the bed, I guess, and he had an incredible pain in his neck. It, it was a nerve, a muscle pain. Something was, had basically paralyzed him. He couldn't, he couldn't turn his head. He couldn't move. He was just in extreme pain. And uh, Latifia, because they have three small children at home, called me and said, hey, would you mind... If giving Joel a ride to the doctor's care. They used to call it urgent care, but then I think they changed it to doctor's care because they realized it wasn't always so urgent uh, in terms of how fast you get through. And we, literally, we were there all morning. We are waiting in the parking lot. And I know they're doing a hard job. They got a lot of people they got to tend to, but y'all, it was a long morning. And while we're waiting, our brother Joel experienced some pointed sharp pain and when the pain hit him and he's sitting next to me in the car when the pain hit him he groaned all right and it was grown man groaning y'all it was and he I asked him if I could share this he was really hurting it was a visceral intense pain that he wasn't getting any relief from he was groaning groaning from the pain that he was experiencing in his body. And, and in our scripture today, that word is used three times. Groaning, groaning, groaning. It's used three times, and it's, and it's used in this context. First, the creation, the world, the creation itself groans. Second, we ourselves groan. And thirdly, the Spirit of God groans. Suffering is not an illusion. There's a lot of people in today's world that want to say suffering is an illusion. 
that pain is something that you can think your way out of, that you can meditate your way out of. But God doesn't sidestep the reality of suffering, and neither should we. God wants us to consider it, to seek to understand suffering, not to try to always avoid it, ignore it, put it, put it to the side, but to understand it, to consider it. And we really get some good understanding in verse 20. So look there with me. In verse 20, God says, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. See, the creation, look around, everything that you see, everything that we experience, the creation itself was subjected to two things. And in this scripture, the first thing is here in verse 20, it says it was subjected to futility. And then in verse 21, it says that it was subjected to corruption, to its bondage to corruption. Futility, corruption, frustration, and decay. Well, who was the one that corrupted it? How did it get like this? Look at, look, let's go back to Genesis chapter 3, all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the beginning after, after Adam and Eve fell into rebellion against God. Look at what it says in Genesis 3.17. And to Adam God said, Because you listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you will eat of it all the days of your life. And he goes on to talk about thorns and thistles and relationships broken and Everything gets messed up at that point. Okay? The fabric of creation becomes futility and corruption. Futility and corruption. And we need to understand, we need to consider what these things mean. Futility and corruption. Let's think about it for a minute, okay? Futility means that nothing works the way it's supposed to work. Okay, in creation, nothing works the way that it's supposed to work. Can I get an amen? Anybody experience that? Futility, frustration, nothing works the way it's supposed to work. Have you heard of Murphy's Law? Right? Murphy's Law says anything that can go wrong, what? It will go wrong. Now, that's not a law of nature, but it might as well be. And even when things do go right, even when they are going well, they ultimately stop working. Everything breaks. Everything falls apart. Everything is broken. It's written into nature itself. Futility. Frustration. That is the world that we live in. That is a feature of nature in a broken and fallen world. It's a feature of nature in a broken and fallen world. The first is futility. The second is corruption. Corruption means that everything falls apart. Everything breaks down. Another way to say it, uh, corruption, is that everything, uh, all material things, all economic systems, everything in creation is subject to falling apart. Corruption, to being corrupt. 
corroded. This actually is in the law of physics. The second law of thermodynamics, some of you know, is the law of entropy that what everything tends toward disorder. Everything tends toward randomness and disorder. The second law of thermodynamics is actually in our science. When scientists look out at the world, they see these two things. They see futility and they see corruption. It's in the way things are. And, and God tells us this right here that it is not, it was not originally that way. That creation was subjected to it. That things changed at some point. Things changed so that there's corruption. Things changed so that there's futility. If we understand this, if we understand the nature of fallen reality, it helps us. It helps us to consider our suffering. To consider that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. But it's not just the creation. It's not just the creation, it's we ourselves. Verse 23. Verse 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, grown inwardly. And I'll stop there. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. Not only is the creation subjected to futility, but so are we. So are we. And as believers in the Lord Jesus, for those of you who have received Christ, we have a down payment. We have the security deposit. We have what the scripture here calls the first fruits of the Spirit indwelling our heart. And the Spirit has already given you new life. The Spirit has already given you forgiveness that Christ purchased for us on Calvary. The, the Spirit gives us intimacy with God. The Spirit gives us Spiritual gifts, fruit of love and joy and peace and all the fruit of the Spirit. But in some ways, this good stuff that we have already from the Spirit makes the groaning worse. Right? Because we know there's more. We've already received a, a, a first fruit. Right? We know there's more. And so our frustration as believers is intensified because we know what we're missing. We feel the pain of loss. It, as I was thinking about this this week, it reminded me of a story in the Old Testament. That God's people had lived under uh, kings, and those kings increasingly became corrupt. Right? Corrupt. The kings increasingly became corrupt. And so at some point... Enemies came in, the Babylonians came into Israel and they defeated Israel and they, they destroyed God's house, the temple, Solomon's beautiful temple that he had built. They destroyed it. And they said, you, you're getting out of here and they took them into captivity. God's people went into exile and then many years later, God's people were able to return to the land. And when they returned to the land under the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah, they rebuilt the temple. And there's a scripture in the book of Ezra that I want to read to you. I, I don't have it up on the screen, but I got this picture that kind of pictures the, the, the event. Okay, So imagine they're rebuilding the temple. 
It was devastated by their enemies, and now they've returned. God's been gracious. They've returned, and they're rebuilding. And it says this in Ezra chapter 3, verse 11. And they sang responsively, call and response, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord. Because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, but... Many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, it says they wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this new house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people could not distinguish the sound of joyful shouting from the sound of people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great Shout, and the sound was heard far away. They could not distinguish the weeping from the shouts of joy. That is how we endure suffering. There's joy in the first fruits, there's joy in what God has already done, what He's already doing. But there's also sadness. There's also groaning for all that has been lost. For all that has been lost because of Adam's sin and our continual rebellion. But we are not alone in our groaning. I hope you remember what I said. There are three that groan. The creation, we ourselves, and who else do you remember? The spirit groans. Look at verse 26. It says, likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit of God helps us to endure suffering. Sometimes things are so bad. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. We don't even know what to say to God or to ourselves or to our family or to anyone. And God says, the Spirit Himself will groan for you. That when you don't know how to groan, the Spirit of God will groan for you. What do we ask God? We're angry with Him. And in those moments, the Spirit of God intercedes, comes in, breaks in, and prays for us with groanings, y'all. Groanings. We groan. The creation groans and the Spirit of God groans. The Spirit of God groans. Man, I was looking at Psalm 22. I didn't put this in my sermon, but but in Psalm 22, it talks about the Savior who would come and He would do what? He would groan. He would groan, and we know that Jesus did that on the cross, and He groaned in His death. And now He sends His Spirit who groans in His life, in His everlasting life with us in our mess. The Spirit prays for you, believer. The Spirit prays for you. When we don't know what to pray, when we don't know what to say, when we don't know what to do, God's Spirit prays for you and helps us to endure suffering. God does not stay at a distance, far off. God engages this broken, fallen world. God comes into it. He has come into it. He is in it now, present with us by His Spirit. God always comes into the mess that we've made. God... Listen to that. You've made a mess, okay? You have. 
Somehow, you've made a mess in your life, and I have too. And the good news is, God always comes into your mess. He doesn't just let you, you know, fall apart. He doesn't just leave you on your own, but God always comes in if we will invite Him and welcome Him by faith. God invites us to endure suffering, but not without hope, not without the second part. And the second part is that we anticipate glory. We anticipate glory. We look forward to glory. Look at verse 18. For the creation waits with eager... Oh, that's the wrong scripture. Uh, Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. Did you see that? There's a comparison. That the sufferings now are not worth comparing to the glory to be revealed. We anticipate glory. You know, when I was playing football in middle school and I wanted to quit that day, my dad was a good dad and he said, you can't quit. You made a commitment. It's going to be worth it, he said. And he, you know what? He was right. He was right. Because the pain and the sweat and the drama and the misery of football practice was a dim memory on game day. All that pain, all that sweat, all that soreness, when game day came around, middle school football, (laughs) y'all, William J. Clark Greyhounds, we got to wear our jerseys to school, there was a pep rally, everyone was cheering for us, we endured, with my father's help, I endured, and the suffering of practice was not worth comparing with the glory of game day. The suffering of practice was not worth comparing with the glory of game day. And God says the same thing about all of our suffering. All of our pain that we endure in this life as His adopted children. See that? The Father says, stick in there. Endure suffering It's going to be worth it, right? When the glory is revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Glory will be revealed Look around creation. Close your eyes for a moment. Just think about creation. Think about the world around you. Nature is waiting. Nature is longing for something. Creation is enduring futility, frustration, corruption. For what? Open your eyes. The scripture today says, for the revealing of the sons of God. You know what that word revealing is in the Greek? It's the word apocalypse. All right? Now, you probably didn't know that, but the word apocalypse is translated revealing. So people talk about apocalypse as the end of days, but you know what it is? The apocalypse is the revealing of the sons of God. 
The apocalypse is the revealing of the sons of God. And now, every day, the entire creation is waiting with eager expectation. I have a dog. And my dog's name is Maggie. And she is my favorite dog in the whole world. Actually, I don't even like any other dogs. I just like Maggie. I'm a Maggie person, not a dog person. That's what I say. And every, and y'all know, some of y'all know Maggie. All of you know Maggie most, for the most part. Maggie is hyper, okay? Every day, my dog Maggie waits by the window for me to come home from work. Every day, Maggie waits by the window for me to come home from work. And as soon as my truck pulls in, she goes ballistic. I mean, I've walked in and she, she'll, she can't even jump on me. Her body is shaking with joy. Like she can't even contain herself. She is so excited to see me. And she welcomes me with this incredible affection. Why? And she's been waiting. She's been eagerly longing for the revealing of the king of the castle. <laughs> for the alpha dog. That's what I like to say. And y'all, that is a picture of what all creation is doing. All of creation is eagerly waiting and longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And what does that mean? It means that God, for creation is waiting for God's children to return to our original position as kings and queens of creation. That creation is waiting like Maggie at the window, waiting, eagerly waiting for God's apocalypse, for the revealing of the of the kings and queens of creation. That's you. That's me. Reminds me of a story written by C.S. Lewis called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Some of you have maybe read that or seen the movie. When the kings and the queens return to Narnia, when the kings and the queens one day return to this renewed creation, the wait will finally be over we will finally be able to rule in God's world, having dominion without sin, without death, without pain, without suffering. We will rule the world with justice and truth and beauty. The apocalypse, the glory of God revealed in the sons and daughters of God in the new creation. Verse 23 says, not only the creation, <laughs> right? Not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We wait eagerly too. We are waiting eagerly too for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now, if you were paying attention last week, Last Sunday, we heard the good news that we are already adopted, right? That we are already, have, we have already been brought into God's family. So why is Paul now saying, uh, okay, but we're still waiting for our adoption? Uh, just previously, he said, you're adopted, and now he's saying we're waiting for our adoption. What is he talking about? Well, let me tell you a story about Ivan. Several years ago, our friends Mike and Brianna wanted to do something about the worldwide 
orphan crisis. Socio-political conflicts around the world had created uh, a situation where there were thousands upon thousands of children without parents or guardians or a home. And in many places around the world, they were gathered into orphanages. So Mike and Brianna decided to adopt a five-year-old boy living in an orphanage in Russia. The legal process was straightforward. After just a few months, it didn't take long at all, they signed the papers and they became the legal parents of little Ivan. Within just a few months, they did all the paperwork and everything was good. But then something happened. Due to uh, government corruption, due to uh, bad relations between the U.S. and Russia, international adoptions came to a grinding halt. They had already signed the papers. Ivan is their son. But he's in Russia, and they're still here in the U.S. Even though Ivan was legally their son, Mike and Brianna could not bring him home. So they waited six months, a year, two years, and even more. During all of that time, there wasn't much they could do except send money to his caregivers and send messages and packages and they communicated however they could and a lot of times communication was even cut off. They couldn't even get through really. And finally, after, after three years, so Ivan's eight now, <laughs> after three years of waiting eagerly, the country finally opened back up and they were able to fly to Russia and to meet their son face to face for the very first time. They were finally able to bring Ivan home. Wow. The pain, the groaning that Mike and Brianna and Ivan experienced is a picture of what we as believers experience now and what God experiences. We are adopted, right? We are already adopted. We are His. Nothing can change that. We are already loved, but we have not made it home yet. We have not made it home yet. God says, anticipate glory. Don't just endure suffering. Anticipate glory. Anticipate that redemption that he's talking about here where he says, what is it? It's the redemption of our bodies. Look at the end of verse 23. It says, our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, our souls are already redeemed. Our souls are already redeemed. We've received the first fruits of the Spirit, but our bodies are still in bondage to corruption. Our bodies are still experiencing decay. But one day, our bodies will be redeemed. Our bodies will be redeemed. Not heaven, as we usually think about heaven. Heaven is, is a disembodied place, but there's something beyond heaven that the Scripture tells us about. Uh, Bishop N.T. Wright likes to say it's life after life after death, which I kind of I like that. It's, it's confusing, right? But it's life after life after death. Life after death, heaven. Life after life after death, 
the new heavens and the new earth, the restored creation, the renewed creation, where we will be able to fully experience new life as God's sons and daughters forever. Physics is going to change. I, I believe it fully. Physics is going to change. That what, right, When we look at nature now and we see death and decay, when we look at creation then, we won't see that anymore. The very basis of our understanding of biology now is death. Isn't that crazy? That's the world we live in. And it makes total sense in this world. But it's not the way God created the world, and it's not the way the world's going to be when he restores it. There will be no more death or sickness or suffering anymore. That is the hope that we have. And look in verse 24 right here at the end. We're, we're, we're toward the end. Verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. For in this hope, this hope of glory, this hope for the revealing of the sons of God, this hope for the, the redemption of our bodies, it says in that hope we were saved. Past tense, right? What's it talking about? It's talking about the cross. Past tense, we were saved on Calvary. Jesus, the Son of God, took on our flesh, our broken, messed up, fallen, prone to illness, able to die flesh. He took it on. God took it on in the person of Jesus Christ. And what did he do with that life that he had? What did he do with it? He sacrificed it. He gave it up. He put himself on the cross willingly so that in God's great justice and mercy that all of our sin, all of our guilt would be placed on him and all of his life and all of his goodness and all of his potential would be placed on us. There is a great exchange that happens at the cross for all who believe. For all who believe. For all who simply trust him. And so I invite you today to trust him. To trust this God-man who, who came and took on. He didn't avoid suffering, right? He didn't just stay up in heaven and say, well, good luck with that, y'all. Jesus came to the earth. He experienced suffering. He endured suffering. God invites us to endure suffering. Jesus endured suffering. He experienced loss. The loss of intimate fellowship with his Father. He left heaven to come down here to experience loss. So that even in his most critical moments, he would cry out, Father, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God experienced incredible pain and suffering and loss. So that he could anticipate glory. And not only anticipate it, but experience it. See, three days after he died, three days after being in the tomb dead, Jesus rose. Jesus rose from the grave and miraculously he became the first fruit of this new creation. This new body that we are going to get, this redeemed body. Jesus came up out of the grave with that body and that body did not obey the laws of physics anymore. Read the Gospels. Read about the risen Lord. Read about how he was able to uh, enjoy fellowship and feast and hugs and touch 
He was able to speak and communicate and enjoy the physical world, and he was able to walk through doors. He was able to go from one place to another. There's a new physics that operates in the kingdom of God. And Jesus is the first taste of it, y'all. He is the first taste of it. And the, the hope that we have is that we're heading in that same direction. And that for all who believe in him, this world will be renewed. All of the suffering and the pain and all of the corruption will be taken away. And you and I, friends, we can be so confident in God. We can be so confident in Him now that we can endure suffering. Even the kind that that you're going through right now. You can endure that suffering because Jesus endured that suffering. And you can anticipate the redemption of apocalypse. The revealing of the kings and queens of God. And that that is what we're destined for as God's people. That is what we're destined for by grace. Not because we're so great. No, God chose the messed up people of the world. The sinners like me. To showcase his glory. And look, this hope is something we can have today. The hope that futility will one day be replaced with fulfillment. That corruption will one day be replaced with strength. And that pain and suffering will one day be replaced by unspeakable joy. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this hope. Uh, I thank you for this hope that is not seen, but is believed and understood. Thank you that you've helped us to consider the nature of nature, the con- to consider our own hearts and our own uh, bondage to decay and corruption, that we've considered the good news that we are already adopted, but we're not home yet. Oh, Lord, give us patience to endure. And would you please, every morning, give us an anticipation, a real perception and experience of the future glory that is to be revealed. And Lord, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So that in our lives today, Lord, we might bring a little piece of heaven, life after life after death, a little piece of the new heavens and the new earth. We might actually get to bring it into life today that our neighbors who are suffering would, through our hands and through our acts of mercy and through our words of kindness and truth and love, we would be able to minister future grace to them. Lord, I pray for our community. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for all who are apart. Lord, help us to be faithful to that great commission, to spread this gospel news, this good news of redemption now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.